very warm welcome back to episode three of the Rugby Paper Podcast. It is fair to say that weekend two of the Six Nations lived up to the hype, with France emerging as the front runners to lift this year's championship trophy. Today, in a Six Nations rest week, Harlequins winger Caden Murley joins us to discuss the various pressures on young rugby players. Afternoon, guys. Ben Jacob of the Rugby Paper and Caden Murley. Welcome. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, all good, thank you. Not too bad at all. How are you guys? Yeah, not enjoying the weather as you felt the brunt of against Saris uh, on Sunday, but I hope the body's not too sore from that. No, all good, all good. Yeah, obviously, I think all backs and all wingers would prefer it to be a summer sport, but we've got to live with it and that's the English weather for you. Exactly, and you'll work towards April and hopefully things will be a little bit better. Okay, so this week is a slightly different episode for our listeners. Obviously, no Six Nations. We'll touch upon the Six Nations very quickly. Kazan, all I want to know is what do you think of how your Quinns mates went? You've obviously got Joe Marchant, Joe Marler, uh, and then Don Brandt and Smith. Did you get to watch the game? I know it was just after the Saris match. Yeah, so uh, we straight in the change room, obviously, some of the travelling reserves had it on their iPads, whatever. So we were watching a bit there of uh, the first half and then we got back on the bus and we were watching it on the bus, obviously cheering them along. So yeah, I think all, all of them went really well. I think you look at Domers and you look at Smithy, obviously they're the two that have been carving up and march alongside. It's great to see him start in his natural position at 13 um, and get his hands on the ball and beat defenders like he always does. We've spoken about on this podcast, actually, Nick Kane speaks about this connection that Don Brandt, you call him Domers, I'm going to call him Don Brandt. I don't yeah. feel like we're on that <laughs> basis yet. Uh, and Marcus seem to have. Do you guys make a thing of that as Quinns, be it in training or on the field? I don't think there's a... It's not forced. There's nothing that we say, right, let's try and get these two together. But honestly, if you came watch a training session when those two are together, the amount of line breaks that Smithy feeds Domers and the other way around is... Yeah, they do have some weird kind of connection where Domers always seems to be in the right place at the right time and Smithy puts them through in a gap. So it happens on the training pitch a lot. So that's probably why you see it a lot in games. One headline from the England camp this week, Manu Tuolangi is back in. Sort of throws Joe Marchant's starting spot at 13 up in the air. Do you think we'll see Joe in the starting lineup or potentially coming off the bench against Wales? I think the thing with Joe is he's so versatile. Like he can play at 13. He's unbelievable defence and attacking in that 13 channel. But you stick him on the wing and he's also one of the best aerially, probably in the Premiership. He gets up for the ball and attacks so well, which Eddie obviously likes. So, yeah, I, I, I think we could still definitely see him in the starting 15. And as a winger, you're not allowed to say yourself. What is your ideal back three for England right now? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to stick my boy March and then a player I like to base myself on would probably be Jack Noll. So I'd put him on the other wing. And then at 15, probably Anthony Watson. When, okay. when he's fit, he is unbelievable. He's electric. He's so hard to play against his footwork. So no Freddie Stewart. He's been going so well. He's so solid as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's definitely a way up because you could obviously put Anthony Watson on the wing, Freddie Stewart at fullback. So they would be, they'll say they're my four. I think that answer is homage in itself to England's riches in the back three at the moment, because you've got the likes of, you know, Adam Radwan, Lewis Liner, you're not too far away yourself. Those are names that we haven't even mentioned. Then you've got current incumbents, Malins, and we haven't even mentioned Johnny May, who's going to come back in from injury at some point. So a good selection problem for Eddie to have, no doubt. Just on, I mean, this is my own personal curiosity. Are you in touch with Eddie Jones at all? No, I haven't had much much comms with him at all. No, not, nothing at all yet. But I'm just focusing on my game and my performances and hopefully that will come on the back of it. But yeah, for me, it's speaking to the coaches at Quinn's, what's going to get me to that next level and trying to push myself that way rather than trying to force anything. So what are the work-ons at the moment? For me, it will be my aerial stuff. So obviously I started in the centres, so I was a bit late. So 
working on my aerial stuff is a massive thing to me, both in defence and going to get the ball back because rugby's gone a lot towards the box kicking and the chasing kicks for wingers. So being good in the air is important. And then secondly, just getting more touches on the ball, finding myself, because I'm not the stand on the winger type of winger. I like to go get my hands on the ball, pick up inside tens, run off nines and stuff like that. And so just finding my way and reading the game so I can get more touches. You did start as a 13. Is mm-hmm. that a move that you would contemplate in future or do you think you're stuck on the wing now? No, I don't think I'm stuck on the wing. Obviously, you look at Quinns and we've got an abundance of 13s coming through. So I'll take my spot in the 23, wherever it comes. But obviously, I had a spell when I first came in when we had a 13 injury crisis and I played at 13. And yeah, I'm not against going back there. I would quite like to go back there. But as long as there's that many 13s, I'm quite happy with my spot on the wing. All right, we're going to leave the Six Nations talk there for the moment as it is a rest week. Kazan, unfortunately, you will miss out on the Rugby Papers Predictions League in which panellists and special guests and myself all predict scores week on week. Fortunately slash unfortunately, I'm currently in the lead, which Nick Kane, Brendan Gallagher, Jerry Guscott and Tommy Allen won't be too happy about that. I added 14 points to my score, three points above Nick Kane, who's on 29. Brendan's on 26 and then Tommy has been slightly left behind on 25, but still very much all to play for. So stay tuned for that. Just one other thing. If you want to know how the score system works, uh, check out the Rugby Paper website and all will be explained. Okay, so I want to move on now. Obviously, you're 22, still very much early days in your career. I think the early years of a rugby player's career are very, very different nowadays to what they were 20, 30 years ago. And what's particularly interesting about that is the people educating you won't, there are elements that they won't necessarily understand, namely media hype and exposure to the press. I want to know if you have a big game and obviously you started Harlequin's 40-38 win against Exeter, people are going to be billing match-up after match-up, you know, media will talk about strengths and weaknesses of each team. What is your your approach to media hype in the week leading up to that game? For me, we we have a brilliant media team at Quinns and they, so for example, if we get interviews, everything goes through Ali Stokes and he likes to run everything. So he'll put you with who he thinks is suitable for you and wh- how much, however much you want to do, you can tell him. If you don't want to do any media that week, it's a big game. You can tell him, mate, I just want to focus on my rugby. I want to do this. So you don't go into that. Everyone has different opinions and looking on social media and stuff. Obviously every young person coming through has got that. And obviously, in the build-up to the game, you look at it and fans will have their own point on selection and stuff like that. But as a group, you've just got to trust you're put on that pitch to do your job, to do everything you can do. So they're very good at just just back yourself, especially at Quinns. I think the way we play, the confidence that the coaches give us, you go into those games and or I actually missed out on the semi-final. So I've gone from not playing to then going to the final, which is a completely different jump. Obviously, the boys have played 100 minutes. And obviously, I, I did feel the pressure a bit, but... Everyone around you, all the boys. I remember Danny Kerr coming up to me before selection. He probably had a little inkling that Aaron Ross engineer was like, mate, going from not playing to starting in the Premiership final is pretty class and just putting an arm around you and supporting you in that way. So that's where I think the team spirit comes through massively and tries to take the pressure away from you. Yeah, the, the, the media absolutely seem to absolutely love their golden boys, especially in the English press, you know, in sort of previous teams, you know, Tulangi, Atoje. But now you're seeing you know, an obsession and a real hype around Marcus Smith. He's being already compared to, you know, Dan Carter and Johnny Wilkinson. But what is his sort of mentality right now? How is he, is he dealing with the pressure well or, or is it, you know, kind of affecting him a little bit? He's one of the most driven, intrinsically driven individuals I've ever met. He doesn't do this to be the star of the world. He does this to be the best rugby player he can be. The amount of stuff he goes through in the week, the amount of 
papers he's got like tick charts that he goes through that he has to do just for him to satisfy himself I don't think he's he'll obviously see that and he'll see all that but I think for him it's about himself his family doing it for them rather than trying to please the press so yeah he's he's very driven and I don't think that will affect him one bit this is one thing that like I was saying earlier the people educating you and sort of bringing you through the system don't necessarily understand because 30 years ago you know it was a much smaller factor in the professional game as a young player obviously you and Marcus same age you came up through the Quinn system together do you feel a sort of duty to provide support if it's needed or even you know if his ego gets too big not that it sounds like it is kick him off his high horse and tell him that he does make mistakes etc etc yeah obviously you'll know that in the rugby environment everyone no matter who you are can get brought down and gets little little bits of banter whatever they're they're given that and that does keep him grounded but We've also got a great support team around us. Quinn's brought in a welfare manager, Andy Sanger, a few few years or a couple of years ago. And he's brilliant. Uh, if you do have any other pressures or anything, you can go talk to him about it. He's very much the off-field, trying to help your family. So a lot of the boys that come over from, from the likes of South Africa, Tommy Allen from Italy, all of them that come over, they, he helps you to fit in. And he's been brilliant. We have family days where all the family come in, you get to know each other. There's a couple's box for all the old lads who have all their kids and everything. So... You're very much made to feel part of the family. And I think that helps. Everyone's at the same level, no matter if you're a first year academy or you're Danny Care, X amount of England Caps, X amount of games for Quinns, all your families are in the same box. You just feel like you're you're a Harlequin. You're nothing more than that. You're nothing less than that. You are you are a Harlequin, no matter who you are. Do you feel that sometimes the media hype is, you know, it comes a little bit too soon in, in, play, in players' careers? Sometimes it's good for the players to get their name out there, to get everything out there. It's And it can build confidence. So if you're like, oh, they're, they're tipping me to be this, tipping me this, especially a lot of players are confidence players. So although when it comes bad, that's the other side to it where there could be too much pressure, but it's going to be what it's going to be. I mean, rugby's changing and we want it to become this bigger sport, the bigger face of rugby. We want obviously more publicity, more people to watch it. So it's going to come with what it is. And there are people around us that will help us to learn and to not get on the bad side of the press, but it's going to become part and parcel of the game, hopefully, as the game keeps growing. The game definitely needs more sort of more stars and more players maybe put on these pedestals. And it's great that they're you know, being called world-class at such a young age when they're proving it on the big international stage like Dupont, Antimac, Smith himself. That's great for the growth of the sport, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, there's been a massive thing, obviously, putting some of the Gallagher Premiership games on free-to-view to, free to view TV. is massive. And the amount of people that will just tune into that and then they'll be like, oh, this is quite a cool sport, whatever. And we like to be a good advert for the game. So the way Quinns play, I think, especially at the back end of this year and the start of this year, we've kind of lost our way performance-wise, but we won't go to the ins and outs of that. We still want to chuck the ball around. We still want to play with smiles on our faces. All the young kids that come around, we try and teach them the Harlequins way. And there are boys going off to camp around Surrey and around Sussex, trying to trying to build the game that way. Because ultimately, the more stars they see, the more they can relate to it. So the likes of Marcus coming out of Brighton, the likes of Hugh Tizard coming out of Cranley, all, all of those kind of boys, the more they see them, the more they interact. Hopefully, they'll talk to their friends about it. They'll want to be rugby players when they're older rather than football, cricket, which have been big in the recent in recent years. We've spoken about the sort of lead up to a big game. What interests me about the sort of game weekend, so to speak, is there are kind of, in my opinion, two ultimatums, that being your own ultimatum of how you actually play and whether you live up to your own standard, etc. And that when you get off the field and you want to either celebrate a win or be the press switch on Netflix and eat ice cream after, you know, a tough loss and you wake up the next morning and 
I just wonder whether your first thought is if you didn't go so well the day before, oh God, what are the media saying about me? And is there, again, a strategy you employ to be able to block out all that noise? Or do you just think it's part and parcel of the profession now? I think it's part and parcel of it, but obviously everyone knows themselves when they, whether they've had a good game or a bad game. And you don't need to go onto social media. Everyone will have the feel of a game if they played well or not. Obviously, having the press down your neck, but I would say we're very much told to do your review with your coaches, get on back on the horse, don't, don't dwell on that performance, try and not completely put it under the bus because you want to learn from it and you want to become better from it. But there's definitely a way to manage that sort of expectation just for the next week, especially because you can't just go from week, week in, week out and just try and roll into it and not actually take in that you didn't play well. So there is strategies put in place, but yeah, you, most of it is intrinsic and trying to do it yourself. There are two sides to it in that if you play rubbish and you you wake up the next day and you think, oh God, what's everyone going to say about me? Mm. If you if your team or you specifically have an absolute blinder, for example, Harlequins came in for the first time in a long time to this season as premiership champions mm-hmm. after the most memorable win in God knows how long. How do the behind the scenes sort of operate in order to mitigate the impact of that expectation, that hype and the sort of the fixated gaze that would have been on Harlequins that wouldn't have been there in the past five, 10 seasons? Again, our media team firstly won't chuck you out in front of every every person in the press. So it'll rotate who's doing it weekly, who's doing what. So, so you don't get blown away by all of that and blown away by all the questions and the expectations. From the players and the team point of view, we're very much focus on ourselves we know that everyone's going to raise their game five ten percent because we are the premiership champions but we know if we focus on ourselves and we put our performance on the park then we can live up And we know that we if we get into the top four this year we give ourselves a chance to go again so we're very much focused on our own performance and our own belief inside the camp yeah it's definitely been um in terms of harlequins i think the growth in in the support people i've met just my time in london have certainly taken more of an interest in it because they're you know they're sort of headline news all the time in the, in the premiership and and seeing advertisements for you know the big game and also the game it's gloucester at twickenham so it's just getting, getting the name out there about the club is that is that just the aim from the press team yeah 100 percent. we want to grow it as much as we can if we can be the face of rugby then that's perfect i mean You've seen we've just announced that big summer kickoff, another kind of big game in the summer. So if we can grow it that way, and I had so many messages and so many people come up to me that I hadn't spoken to for ages saying, wow, big game was amazing. Not necessarily just the rugby, but the whole event and everything like that. Like you look at the Super Bowl, the amount of people that will go to the Super Bowl just for the atmosphere and everything. And if you can get more fans that way, then hopefully they can build into the rugby slowly. But more days out like that, more different things other than just the rugby more halftime shows more entertainment before more entertainment after the big walkover getting people around you for that i think that will grow the game in a, in a different way to just playing rugby darts is a great example i personally have never understood why anyone goes to watch the darts for any other reason than the atmosphere because I don't, I don't think you're going to watch to see you know mvg pull a nine dart or something that never actually mm. happens it is great that there are controllables in that you can control interviews you do and don't do social media adds an element of non-controllability to it in that as a professional player there's almost an expectation nowadays to have an instagram account or something like that what i want to know is do you employ any particular approach to social media noise in that if you post on instagram and you get some trolls or hate comments or the keyboard warriors or 
media brigade, whatever you want to call them. That to me is more difficult to block out and potentially also more harmful because that noise is constant. That really never goes away. With press, you're in the press room or you're not. With your social media, there's an element of personability to it. And Mm -hmm. so that makes that sort of distinction between on and off much, much harder to grasp. Yeah, 100%. And obviously you look at the comments and 95% of them will be positive, but then that little 5% does niggle away at the back of your mind. But that's when, if you've got a tight-knit group of friends around you, if you've got tight group support team at Quinns like we do, like Andy and all that that do the mental health, um, being able to talk to someone about it, firstly, is is so, just get it off your chest. So I think a lot of people bottle it up, whereas we're always told to talk about it. And there are a lot of campaigns, obviously, that are about um, people opening up and the RPA, who the Rugby Players Association, they have a helpline 24-7 that you can call if you just want to chat to someone about it. So there are a lot of things that will help a young professional sportsman who do do have that pressure because there is always going to be people that those trolls like you say that niggle away at you but we're always told to focus on the positive obviously if you have nine positive comments and one little one little troll comes in and says something bad about you focus on the nine good ones you've made nine people happy about coming to a game or anything like that or supporting you or you took a photo with a fan that could change that little kid's day focus on those focus on the positives rather than dwelling on the negatives I think that's a really good spin on it, to be honest. And I think that's really important is perspective, which is such an important thing. And negative noise can so often be so much louder than positive noise, either in your own head or when you put in a bad game, the knives come out in a more aggressive way than praise does after a good game. What about actually on your mobile phone? Is there anything you do to be able to filter stuff out? And if so, do you have any recommendations for young players who are 16, 17 years old and where you were five years ago and how they could potentially deal with any such problems? So I'll turn notifications off on my Instagram, on my Twitter, on all of that. I obviously keep on WhatsApps on for important messages, but yeah, anything social media, if I want to go on it, I'll go on it and I'll have a look. And But I won't have that constant, oh, this notification has come through, this notification has come through. I try and block that out and Social media can be a brilliant thing, can be a brilliant tool to build your profile, to build everything like that. But the more you sit and wait for a notification or expect to see something, it can just play on your mind. So for me, it would be turn notifications off. If you want to go on it and you want to read something and you want to view your comments, whatever, do that. But don't make that part and parcel of your life. Don't sit there waiting for praise or whatever like that. Just see it as a tool to build yourself or put your profile out there or say you've had a good game or something like that. Don't dwell on it for ages, if you see what I mean. In terms of social media, um, has it always been an encouraged thing in rugby? You know, sometimes rugby gets criticised as being, you know, old-fashioned and stuck in its ways over the sort of the last five, ten years. Social media has taken off in, in sport. Has that always been encouraged by by sort of the senior staff members in, 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 in Harlequins? Ever since I've been in, it's been encouraged to try and get your profile out there. And obviously, I think it's taken that next step now. You see recently the that TikTok's been sponsoring the Women's Six Nations and a lot of the boys have gone on TikToks and you see Joe Marler and the amount of the amount of people that interact with him and the amount of people that go to rugby games just to see him, just to see his personality and his post-match speeches and watch just because of that. I mean, it's a brilliant tool to grow, to grow the game and if more people can get like him, I'm not saying everyone will be like Joe Marler because we can't have too many of them. He's a one of his kind character, but more people like that, more people being themselves, I think will just grow the sport. People want to watch it to see the people in it, not necessarily for the game. It's to, like I said, for the entertainment, for the personalities, for everything like that. And he's a massive factor. Danny Kerr as well is big on his social media, the likes of Max Laheef as well. He's he's a 
interesting character and I think that makes people more more wanting to watch rugby so I think it's a brilliant tool to try and grow the game I think it's important that we do mention the positive aspects I think Joe Marl is probably the best example out there at the moment if you haven't watched his sort of commentary on his lineup throw on his TikTok do go and give that a listen because that is absolutely fantastic and what you're saying about bringing other people into the game my girlfriend the first game she came to watch with me it was because I'd shown her Joe Marler's content and I said he will be playing and he came off the bench against Tonga and that was her loudest cheer of the day and so it really does sort of open up the game to new audiences so to speak I think it's great that we address the positive side of things one thing that I do want to address is social media capability that press doesn't have which is going viral do you guys remember it was back in 2015 he's the same age as all of us Tyrese Johnson Fisher I think he was playing for Oakham School. and He was he playing was, against Bishops, my old school. He was. Sorry, Bishop, you're Bishops Wordsworth, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was playing against you guys, obviously. This wouldn't have made pleasant viewing for you, I suppose, Caden. <laughs> he wasn't your year then? You no, he was a year below, year below me. Okay, yeah. so did you ever play against him or did you not? No, I never did. I never okay. did. All right, well, he essentially tore up. He scored four tries, I believe, and... I think it, it's got 3 million views on YouTube now. It's one of England Rugby's most viewed videos on YouTube. Now, Johnson Fisher, he went to Bristol. He went to Leicester Tigers. Nothing came of it. He went to American football. Nothing came of it. And so now he's sort of floating in the European football scene. Caden, I don't think you had a video that had 3 million views about you, but I did do some digging. And there was a little tribute video to your Harlequin stuff at age grade level. Did you ever feel the pressure as a young kid? You know, Johnson Fisher was 15, 16, far less equipped than you would be now, age 22, even though you're, you know, you're young now. Did you ever feel that pressure on social media, 15, 16, of people seeing this kid and going, wow, he's really got something? Because Johnson Fisher, people started calling him the English Jonah Lomu. How can that go to a 15-year-old's head? Yeah, I think it definitely can. And that's the that's where the people around him and everyone like that needs to step in and just keep them on the same pathway I think it is tough and if people go viral they it can go to your head and it is tough to sometimes live up to that expectation I think for me I think it would be the likes of my, my support with my family my parents my dad my mum just keeping me saying Kane you've still got to work for this and I think there's a lot of that around but yeah 100% it can it that could put massive pressure on a young kid especially yeah at 15 obviously he'd be the talk of the town at his school everything like that and then trying to live up to that. But it also gave him opportunities. Uh, if that video hadn't gone round, I doubt he would have gone to the NFL. I doubt he would have done anything over there, which is an unbelievable opportunity. So again, there's two sides to it. You've got to learn to deal with it and the resources around that and the way you talk about that, I think has been something which has been brilliant in the last couple of years around young men speaking about mental health and talking up about the pressures. But then it can also be brilliant. I really like the positive perspective that you seem to be spinning everything towards. I think it's a, it's a great mentality that's reflective, hopefully, of how young players are being raised in the game. Because I suppose it is how you look at it in that Johnson Fisher, I don't know whether he's thinking, oh, God, when I was 15, you know, people were telling me I could be the English Jonah Lomu. Or he's rather saying, OK, well, now I've had opportunities in professional rugby and the NFL that as a result of this clip have been made possible where before they wouldn't have been. Again, it's on the people around you and on your own self self belief. And because I'm sure he could go on, he was an, like that video was mental. He was so quick, and he still is. I'm sure he's an absolute freak athlete. But it's trying to fine tune that and work towards something that you're happy with yourself. The media hype can build you up, build you up, build you up, and that can put certain expectations. But if you can live within yourself and put goals for yourself, then and you achieve them, 
then it can still be just as much as if the media has hyped you up to be saying, like you said, the next show alone. But yeah, it is one of those situations where the pressures it can put is, is horrible on a young kid. But again, the opportunities are brilliant. On just talking on Instagram and Twitter, you know, and we mentioned earlier about raising players on a, a pedestal, making like sort of star power out of players. But in terms of you know followers on on Instagram, you know, um, rugby players compared in comparison to other sports is very very low. Someone like Ben Stokes has got one point eight million, Cristiano Ronaldo four hundred two million, LeBron James a huge ridiculous amount. I think it's only three players. I think two actually. Sorry, I think it's Quade Cooper and Bowden Barrett who currently play have over five hundred thousand. What more do rugby players effectively have to do to get their names out there on Instagram and create? You mentioned Joe Marlow, who is quite a big following, but how does the game grow on social media? I think for me, the more the great game grows on, on, for example, the TV channels, the more accessible it is for everyone because a lot of it is behind a paywall, everything like that. Whereas, like the Six Nations, I'm sure has far more viewers than any club rugby. But mm. is it that much different? Like, is the quality of big game, blah, 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 the atmosphere there, any different? No, probably not. I think it's just the accessibility to the sport and obviously the characters help and everything like that. And people, young kids will look up to, because obviously social media is getting through to younger generations now, the likes of 10, 12 year olds have it. So Joe Marler's videos and having stars, the amount of kids that will be like, oh, you you know, Marcus Smith, you live with Marcus Smith, blah, blah, blah. That will really help. So having those stars is brilliant. But yeah, I think more can be done to grow the game on TV. I think it does start there, to be honest, and the rest will sort of mm-hmm. sort of do itself because football is the biggest TV sport, you know, in yeah. the world. No question. And so cannot believe Ronaldo has 402 million followers. That's absolutely yeah. insane. But I guess half of that work is done, like you say, um, on the big screen. One other question on social media, and then we, we do need to move on. We've mentioned mental health very briefly. I personally think that rugby is not quite as far along as other sports are in terms of mental health discussion. We've sp- spoken about Joe Marler. He went on a podcast and spoke about his mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. The problem with it was, is it felt revolutionary. And I think in 2022, that shouldn't be revolutionary. It should already be commonplace, that sort of discussion. We've seen examples in recent years of high-profile sports names such as Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, Ben Stokes, taking time away from the sport to focus on mental health. Do you think rugby isn't too far away from being at that level? And if so, what signs are there that rugby is nearly there? I agree. I think the problem 10, 15 years ago is rugby is a man's sport. It's a masculine sport. It's, it's big rugby players. They're smashing each other. It's got They've got to be tough in every way, whereas they're not. And I think Joe Marler, probably one of the hardest rugby players in the world, coming out and doing that. It did seem like it was a bit behind his time, but I think that has put rugby on a pathway to really improve the access. So for example, like the Loose Heads and all the stuff they do with mental health, that, that uh, charity. So doing all of that stuff is brilliant and trying to help in that way, trying to spread. There is fine to talk. You can be big, you can be a big gym, you can hit people as hard as you want, but to be able to switch off and talk to someone, oh, I'm struggling a bit here with, with X, being able to talk to someone like that is, it is coming into the game. And I've seen it a lot more. We have a massive thing about at Quinn's, we have like today on a hard training day, we'll have an hour and a half lunch and you'll just be able to talk to people about anything about family, about people that are struggling. We have a coffee and we have a load of cakes brought in, which is absolutely class. The cakes are brilliant. Um, but just sitting down with someone different and talking to them about, so, for example, we've got Santi over here, Argentinian, obviously away from all his family. He lost Martin, went away, left uh, Perpignan. So he's on his own and 
just talking to someone like him, talking to Tyrone, who's come over and a young kid. I can't imagine moving away from all my family when I was 21, 22, uh, moving to a completely new country. And just being able to talk to people like that really gives you that perspective. And it really opens up chats to keep building this foundation that it is okay to talk. I think that's an awesome answer. And I think you are right. And the rugby is held back by a sort of stereotypical image, which mm-hmm. is of hard men throwing themselves at each other and without sort of capability to open up, so to speak. But Joe Marler certainly put rugby on the right path, as you're saying. Okay, slightly different mood for the next couple of minutes. So, Caden Murley, it's time for your random rugby 15. It's 15 okay. questions, as quick fire or slow fire as you wish them to be. We only have about 15 minutes left, so ideally the former. And when you're ready, we will go. Far away. Nickname? Shin. Shin? Yeah, it's a weird one, or Shinley. Why? My kicking technique is rather interesting, and it's something I've been working on, but we've just been away as a squad to Ibiza, and we're in a training session, and I ball comes back to me in the pocket, and I absolutely shin this kick, and it goes absolutely nowhere. And ever since then... Obviously, it was Marcus who came up with it, and every, it just stuck. One of those things, that, you know, it shouldn't be a nickname, but it just sticks. And ever since then, it's been, yeah, Shin or Shinley. I shouldn't ask follow-up questions, but I wasn't expecting you to say that. Um, <laughs> does that translate to kicking calls in a game if you're ever going to hoof one down the field? Do you say Shin's ball? <laughs> um, not really in a game, but yeah, in training. Or we play football as a war for example. We go, hey, come on, Shin. Yeah, kick it with your foot, not your shin. But yeah, it's all a bit of light-hearted banter, really. Brilliant. Best rugby memory? Um, winning the Premiership. Most embarrassing rugby memory? Um, most embarrassing? Wow. It's probably going to be a Worcester at home early this season when I had about three opportunities to score a try and I just couldn't score it. Pre-game tune? It's going to be Eminem. It's probably going to be Lose Yourself. Did you watch him at the Super Bowl? How good. That was class at half Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I didn't watch it live, but did you watch it live? No, I didn't watch it live either. Okay, I saw it the next day. I was like, holy yeah. moly. Imagine yeah. being in that stadium, man. It's a serious halftime show, that. Yeah, it really was. Post-game meal? Five guys. Best player you've played against? Oh, I'm going to say Tuolangi. Best player you've played with? Mike Brown. Favourite player right now? Favourite player. Wow. That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go... Who am I going to go? Probably Lucanio Am. Wow. Again, not what I was expecting you to say. Okay. Rugby Idol. Jason Robinson. Favourite stadium? Welford Road. Favourite gym exercise? Squat. Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Probably a PE teacher. Well, thank God for rugby. Uh, <laughs> superstitions. I actually don't have any. I'm not a very, I'm not like that at all. So no, there wouldn't be any. Rugby rule you would change? Oh, the caterpillar at the, for the box kick. Just get rid of that. More charge downs, more counter-attack, more stuff like that. Just is so boring. Would that make your life easier or harder as a winger? I'm not quite sure. Um, I think it would make it easier because the kicks easier aren't... to receive yeah exactly but the nines don't have five seconds to set it up yeah no that's true okay. there'll be more pressure on them so kicks might be spewed a bit more so basically that answer is just personal laziness yeah probably yeah <laughs> alright best thing about working in rugby the boys just being with your best mates every day another good answer right thank you for doing that 
one thing we did mention there was favorite gym exercise. You said the squat, yeah. you are the first guest to say a lower body exercise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tommy Allen said bench press. I don't know if he, yeah, if yeah, he's, he's got, yeah, he's no, he's got a good, good bench. He's got a good chest on him. Yeah. Does he? Okay. Yeah, he right. really does. Nice. Get that for a fly half. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that. How does your squat compare to the rest? We won't bring the forwards into it, but the rest of the backs. I'd like to say me and Joe March are the two that push the squat on and are challenging some of the forwards. Okay, all right, nice. Yeah. Well, that takes us on to that topic, which is gym pressures. What age did you start properly lifting with a sort of professional goal in mind? I'd say it was when I first joined Quinn's, the Quinn's Academy. I was probably 16, I think. Before that, my dad, my dad's military, so he was very much do your 50 sit-ups, do your 50 press-ups. I didn't touch a weight before then. And obviously, when Quinns came in, you get set like a program and everything like that. And I'm quite lucky in that aspect. I'm, I was never, God, we need to put weight on him quick. We need to pile the food on. We need to pile the gym on. My dad's quite a big man. He never struggled to put on weight and I'm, I'm the same. So, But there are boys that come in where I can see it's like, wow, two gym sessions a day and they're piling in meals here left right and center so the pressures of that can be quite a lot there are two sort of interesting pathways to take this down one is age and you know there's another physiological debate over whether you should be lifting weights age 15 16 we're not going to get into that i'm more interested in are younger players under too much pressure to bulk up because you see these freaks on social media who you know who knows what they're taking first of all And second of all, who knows how much they're distorting it, but what sort of pressure does that put on the innocent 15-year-old mind when you see, you know, for example, Jonah Lomu, age 15. I don't know if you've seen that picture. Yeah, I think he was 15 in the photo. He looked like an absolute freak, and that creates a pressure of, okay, well, I've got to look like that then. That's massive in everyday society as well, isn't it? You see all these influencers, whatever, posting all of that. And I think it's different for different positions. I think it's coming more into the back three, but especially if you're a forward, you think, God, I need to be x kilos to be able to be in with a shout of playing at all but i think there are people that completely go against that one of the best best players i played with one of the best sevens is will evans and he's no he's not much bigger than me just watching his work rate and his just putting his body on the line i think there are ways to get around it but yeah the pressures on that can be massive you've mentioned jack knoll uh, and how you've been compared to jack knoll obviously he actually has lost a little bit of weight because mm-hmm. uh, he got too big trying to keep up with the raw pace of Johnny May, which he didn't necessarily have. And the likes of Joe Thokonosiga, who's come on, uh, you know, uh, he weighs like 115 or something yeah. like that. He's enormous. <laughs> Do you see yourself then as not in the Jack Knoll mould in that respect, in that size has always come to you quite quickly? And also you've got to be careful in that if you get too big, you'll slow down. Manu, for example, is arguably in the best shape of his career having shed that little bit of weight, which yeah. most people from the outside would think helps on a rugby pitch. Well, that's what I've been... Uh, so when I first came in, I was in the same bracket. I didn't really know what to do. I was weighing about 95, 96 kilos, wasn't really sure where I wanted to go. So I, I had to sit down and we thought, why not try and get you as heavy as possible and see if you can hold your speed? And I did. I got up to like, I think I was about 102, 103 kilos. Five foot 10, I was literally like a little bowling ball, which... But then going onto the pitch, I get 35 minutes into a game and I feel like I'm lugging around. Like I, I was struggling to run. I wasn't feeling light. I wasn't feeling quick on my feet. Just what, not what I wanted. So I sat down and spoke again. And for me, it's about finding your ideal playing weight. I don't think you should ever look at other people and go, wow, he plays at this, so I need to play at that. Because we're all built completely different. So for example, I'm sitting at about 94, 95 kilos now and I feel so much better. Yes, I'm, I don't have that extra 
five, six kilos in contact, but I can get that many more involvements. I feel fresh, fresher than I ever did before. So focus on finding your ideal weight and don't worry about everyone else is what I would say to a young person coming through. Do Quinn's reinforce this? I mean, obviously you've got your strength and conditioning coaches who keeps tabs on things ticking over. I suppose there are two types of personalities you have to cater to. The slacker who needs that sort of strength and conditioning coach and the workaholic who if they're told, all right, put on a bit of mass, they take it to the extreme and they eat 7,000 calories a day to be able to gain that sort of weight. So how do the Quinn's coaches find the balance between those sort of opposite ends? Yeah, so different areas of the Quinn's team will work together. So like the nutritionist, S&C coaches will have a chat and we'll discuss and we'll discuss like an individual plan. And obviously, yeah, like you said, there are different personalities. So in our gym session, you'll see the S&C coaches hanging around some boys a lot more being like, come on, you need to do this. It's not really about size any, anymore, I wouldn't say. I'd say obviously when you first come in, it might be put on a little bit, but it's more about your strength and just making your body feel good. So for me, I, I've always loved the gym. I love going to the gym. So they can pretty much give me my program and they'll know I'll go away and do it. Whereas there are people who come to gym and they'll be like, do I have to gym today? So they need the motivation, but they're very good at personally, or if you've had a hard game, let's not go as hard in the gym this week. Let's tailor back some sets and they're brilliant. They're going on how you feel. And if you, if you think you've put on too much weight or you think you're too light, you tend to feel it on the pitch. You know when your best performances are. So when you start playing well and you start getting a run of games, I think that was why I was injured a lot as well because I was way too heavy. And we spoke about that and bringing it back down. When you're unnatural size, then you start pulling things and tearing other things. So for me, it's just focusing on when do I play best? That's sort of the biggest thing is, would you rather be get that big and then injure yourself and not be able to play rugby at all? Or be fit, happy, healthy, and still be able to play rugby, you know, even if you're not the size of the one freak that you see on social media. I don't know whether you injured yourself when you got up to 102, 103. I got up to 115 at my biggest and tore my ACL. Yeah. Uh, So there is something to be said for not putting your body through too much when Mm -hmm. it's artificially not being asked to put through that much. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I tore my hamstring when I was way too heavy. I, I just felt like I was having to strain too much to pull that around. So yeah, focusing on your ideal weight when you're playing best, because ultimately you're a rugby player. You're not a weightlifter. You're not a sprinter. It's finding when you play your best rugby. A lot of young young lads will, will see will see sort of rugby players in the gym, and they'll sort of idolise their, their body their body types. Do you, do you ever get sort of young players popping up to you and asking you how to gain size and advice in the gym? Yeah, so I'll get young boys being like, "What should I focus on? What what should I do in the gym?" 14, 15 year olds mess with me that and or ask me on the side of the pitch. And I'll always say to them, I'll say, play as much rugby as you can, be as skillful as you can. You can always do that later and if you do get signed, but enjoy your rugby, play with a smile on your face. And because you want to be a rugby player. Obviously, it'll help to get some little speed things or whatever, but that comes as you play more and you get more exposure to being rugby. I'd say one thing I regret when I was younger is not focusing more on my skills. For example, my kicking. I felt because I I was quite big. I was quite quick. I always used to just run through teams. Whereas I wish I had a coach being like, right, this game, you have to do this, focusing on a different aspect of your skills. So I'd say become as skillful as you can and everything else will follow. I think that's a good note to finish on. Focus on the skills, what works for you. And if you do focus on the gym too much and sacrifice your skills, you will end up not being able to kick and being called shin. (laughs) All right, we're going to wrap up on time, actually, which I'm pleasantly surprised about. Caden, that was awesome. 
thank you so much for talking about all of that stuff. Great having you on and go well this weekend. Join us same time, same day next week where Nick Kane and Brendan Gallagher will be making their return and I will be joined by a very special guest, former Wales captain and British and Irish Lion, Michael Owen, previewing Scotland, France, England, Wales and Ireland, Italy.